Hello, and welcome to the King James Gossip, Fansided's Cleveland Cavaliers podcast. I'm Doug Patrick, and on the other line is Joe Brett. How you doing, Joe? I'm doing awesome, my dude. Yeah, and I'm doing even better because on the other other line, we have another contributor from King James Gospel. It's Dan Galinsky. How you doing, Dan? Doing great. Heck yeah. We're going to be talking about Tobias Harris and whether or not he'll be an all-star in the East. Then we're going to be talking about will Colin Sexton be Rookie of the Year. And then we're going to be talking about who on the Cavs, other than Kevin Love, can be in an all-star. So, do you want to get this started with Tobias Harris? Yeah, 100%. So, Tobias Harris recently rejected an $80 million five-year extension from the Clippers on July 23rd. Um, So, he's now available to sign the max offer from the Clippers of $188 million for five years or from any other team for $145 million for four years this next summer. Uh, The reason why we have Dan on is because in our group chat with the rest of the contributors at uh, The Gospel... He was saying that the Cavs should go after Tobias Harris, and he had a couple takes about Tobias. Um, he's a little bit higher on Tobias than I am. Uh, we'll see where Joe lands. But yeah, Dan, how about you make the case for Tobias Harris? What do you think about him? Well, I'm not I'm not the original, uh, I guess, author of the idea. That would be uh, our site expert, Quentin Alberti. He has uh, a lot of great stuff. I think his Twitter is just at Quentin Alberti. So if you don't follow him, I definitely would, and all of our games gospel writers uh we we have some good takes and for me i just personally look at uh, not so much tobias himself i just think with a lineup potentially of uh going forward of sexton rodney hood jetty osman and harris and uh either larry nance or kevin love depending on offense defense i just think harris would be a, a really good compliment and you look at his numbers, the basic stats here. Uh, for last year, it was 18.6 points, 46% from the field, uh, 41.1% from three, and that was in a volume shooting role of 5.6 attempts. And he's also uh, a, a solid secondary uh, playmaker. Uh, he can really get his own shot uh, pretty well. And last season, he actually debuted that he can – be more of just a catch and shoot more than a catch and shoot guy. Um, he actually shot 83 pull up threes last season, um, according to the Rangers, uh, Haley O'Shaughnessy and shot just over 42% on those. So, uh, th- that's pretty good. And, and I just think he could be uh, a really good sort of second to third option for us, uh, depending on how, how much, uh, Colin Sexton's us- usage is, uh, for the next years, but yeah, uh, I just think he'd be, he, he's got a lot of versatility as a scorer and he doesn't need the ball in his hands a ton to make things happen. But I think he's starting to show that he's, he's actually a lot more of an elite shooter from, from really all levels than, than people give him credit for. So I, I don't know if I would give him the four for one forty five, but it, uh, I think he could be in that realm of kind of a consolation prize because I don't think the Cavs are going to be bad enough where they're going to have a top three pick for the next three years or whatnot. I don't think we're going to be that lucky again, but I I think he's a good fits our timeline. He's only 25 or 26. I can't remember going to be 26 next season. Yeah. So I, I just think he, if since you have love and you're sort of committed to him and you have a guy in Colin Sexton and, and Jetty Osman and potentially Rodney Hood if he resigns. Uh, I, I don't think the Cavs are, are going to be as bad as a lot of people think. I think we, we have some balance on the floor, especially with Harris, and, and he spaces the floor really well. So that was mainly my take. I think if it's around the ballpark of four for 100, I, I might very much consider that because I think he's he's very underappreciated. Yeah, and, and that uh that lineup you bring up about Sexton, like Osmond, Harris, Love, Nance, I, I think that's a super modern NBA lineup. Mm-hmm. I mean, everybody's long, everybody can shoot, and I, I think it's right. like, like super versatile to throw at any sort of team. Uh, what were we gonna say, Jeff? Yeah, so the thing that I um that I kind of like about this deal is it doesn't necessarily mean that we can't put the ball in Rodney Hood's hands this year. So for me, this year is kind of like a make or break for Rodney Hood. From what I see, they're going to put the ball in his hands, whether or not it's in the starting lineup or the um, backup lineups. 
that the the ball's going to be in his hand. He's going to be making decisions. And we're really going to see whether or not Rodney Hood is going to be part of our future this year. If he's not, I'd like the Tobias Harris signing. We we can get rid of Rodney Hood, trade him, do whatever. Then we can go out and get Tobias Harris because he's a really complimentary piece. He kind of fits with everything. Versatile. Maybe a hot take, but his old guy game kind of resembles LaMarcus Aldridge to me. Obviously a little bit smaller and faster than LaMarcus, but their game kind of resembles each other. Tobias is a little bit of a better shooter. Oh, a lot better shooter. But, yeah, definitely from the outside. So I think if Rodney Hood doesn't do well, I really like this move. I don't necessarily like the 145 for four years. But, I mean, if that's what it's going to take, I can see them going out and getting him. Because somebody's going to have to take the shots. And on nights where Colin Sexton is going to put up rookie stats, <laughs> a.k.a. 17 turnovers or something <laughs> crazy like that. Seven um, for 25. Exactly. He... um. Tobias is a good option just to just to take the load, be that vet that is out there and just telling people how to how to be an NBA player. Yeah. And uh, Joe, you mentioned wanting to kind of try out Rodney Hood. And if he doesn't work out, is he someone that you'd kind of want to see gone if we brought in Tobias Harris just to not have that sort of, you know, there's only one ball take? Um, that, that's something I'm really interested in from both of you, it, it, you know, coming to next summer where Tobias would actually be an option. Is there a member of this Cavs team as it stands right now that you would like to see gone to give Harris like the most opportunity to really, you know, fulfill how good of a player he could possibly be? It's not necessarily for me to get rid of Rodney. Oh, I did say yeah. that. It's, it's more of giving Rodney a full blown chance this season. Yeah. Okay. When I first heard about this in the group chat, mm-hmm. I didn't nece- I didn't check that it was next year. Yeah, and I was like, no, this, don't do this. This <laughs> isn't good. Like, we give the ball to Rodney this season, and then yeah. I scrolled up a little bit and saw that they were talking about it for next year. So, um, I just want this year to be given to the rookies and the sophomores in, and and just guys that we can develop in hood. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what about you, Dan? Is there, is there anyone that you would want to see gone on this Cavs team next season to give Harris like the most opportunity? We've kind of referenced throughout our writing in recent weeks kind of how the Cavs, I, I think they should let Colin Sexton learn under George Hill a little bit. I would, I would eventually, I think we're going to do all we can to trade George Hill, J.R. Smith, Kyle Korver, and, and I just think that's needed for our team to grow going forward I I would think at least after the season but as Joe said yeah this is you got to put the ball in Hood's court and and Jetty Osmond's court and and I think Colin Sexton after a couple of months I think he has to for his growth you kind of have to allow rookies to make mistakes and I think him and Hood eventually have to start I would think Hood should start right off the bat but I I think you want to throw in Jetty in starting minutes as the season progresses over uh, and play him more over Kyle Korver. Cause we, we know what we have in Korver, but Kyle Korver is not going to like get you to the playoffs himself. So in terms of getting rid of guys for Harris, I don't think you, he's a guy that demands like that much usage. I think, him, I think yeah. him and hood can coexist. And I think a lot of people don't realize Tobias Harris is actually a really good, really good screener in the pick and roll as well. He's, he's got the, he's got like a pop game to him for sure. A lot of pop. Honestly, I actually compare him to, uh, I like Joe's comparison because he has a good post-up game. Uh, Haley O'Shaughnessy of the ringer actually says that in her, uh, recent article published comparing him and Aaron Gordon, but he also has enough quickness and enough of a handle to be able to get his in, in mismatches against slower bigs. So I actually compare him kind of to like a, how you said like his his old old guy old YMCA guy game. He's kind of like a, a poor man's Paul Pierce to me. It's not just the number. I just think he kind of isn't the most athletic guy, but he's got he really scores in all three levels. He's crafty. He's a really effective cutter as well. And I, I just I think he could be a kind of a I mean not not a glue guy. He's a lot more than that. Sure. But yeah. I just think sure. the Cavs forward have to focus on balance in their team and kind of sharing the wealth more so than 
kind of having one guy. I don't think the Cavs are going to be getting Jimmy Butler and Kyrie Irving next offseason. I just don't think it's going to happen. So no. I think if you get him for that four to maybe one to 110 range, you have to at least consider it because it really would help Kevin Love get a lot more spacing himself too. Yeah, so. and you mentioned like just his, you know, his athleticism, the fact that he's not the most athletic guy on the court, but I honestly think that might not be a problem at all and might actually be an advantage in like a weird way because I, I really think this Cavs team is going to run with uh just with all the youth um, and the fact that Larry Nance Jr. wants to start bringing the ball up more. Uh, Colin Sexton is called the young bull. Like they're going to be running. And I think if if they did get Harris onto a team that had a year of just pushing pace, I could see him being in a, like a really effective trailer on like a fast break just to pop back for a three. I mean, I, I I totally see that role for him. He's also got that kind of pick and pop game, which I think would work really well to translate to like a trailer role on the fast break side. But we, we were talking a little bit about just like contract stuff. And why, why don't you think he's worth the max? I don't think guys should just be granted the NBA contracts are inflated, except for this offseason, really. But I don't think a guy should just slot in as, as a max guy. I, I understand that. Like, I look at Marcus Smart's deal, the, I think it was four for... Four, yeah, 52. Yeah, Joe's right. But I don't think he's... To me, that's a first option guy. I don't think he's that. But yeah. uh, I think... What did Clint Capella get? Was it five for 90? Yeah, I... I think he's more valuable than that, but not too, too much more. Like four for 90 to me would be kind of lowballing him. I think he's just given the inflation and salary next offseason and more kind of cap room flying around. I think he's not quite the max guy, but he's maybe like four for 110 is reasonable to me. And I just think that would allow us to have a little more cap flexibility and, and keeping Nance more and maybe bringing in another complimentary piece here and there. Yeah, so for me, Max, guys, what I look at when I look at whether or not a guy should be Max is, um, is he capable of pulling your team somewhere? I don't know if it's the playoffs or the next round or even the finals. So I think when, you, when you're talking about whether or not a guy should be given the Max, you're talking about either go-to scorers, you're talking about elite three and D players like Jimmy Butler, or you're talking about elite defensive players like Rudy Gobert. You're talking about the top of the top in all the categories. They can all go get maxes. And and Tobias Harris, although he's a great scorer, he's 35th best points per game in the entire league. Although that doesn't necessarily, although that seems quite high and yet yeah, is, it's all stars above him, all recognizable names. The max guys are people who go out and get top 10 in the league top 15 in the league and so i think he might be that guy we just haven't seen it yet but i think he needs to show that before you give him a max i can understand that for sure and, and i'm right there with you guys I, I think tobias is probably worth around 100 and 110 million for four years uh you know he, he definitely probably deserves more than capella does just because he's more of a versatile player he can fit within more systems Capella's kind of set up perfect in that houston role which you know even though he does maybe have a more important role on that team than Tobias did in Detroit and uh, and the Clippers. You know, I, I think Tobias can fit into more places and that kind of warrants him getting a little more money. So one thing about Harris that kind of made me upset is I, I kind of wish the Cavs hadn't signed Love to that extension now, now that we're talking about this this version of the Cavs that has Tobias Harris on it. I mean, I almost think they could have gone this season without love or maybe traded him over the offseason if there would have been any takers, anything. Um, you know, try to get that top 10 pick so that it doesn't go to the Hawks and then work this summer to sign Harris when you have even more cap flexibility because you're not hindered by love. Um, so what, what do you guys think about having love on this team to coexist with Harris? Do, do you guys kind of wish the Cavs also hadn't extended him. How do you feel about this whole context with love? Uh, I'll go ahead. Initially, I didn't really love the Cavs signing love to that uh, big extension, but uh, the more I see it now, the Cavs are to me are not going to, yeah, the, the top 10 pick kind of hurts if they lose that, uh, which they likely will. I don't think they're going to be that bad given that the East is, is just a lot worse than the West, but, I personally think uh, Love and Harris really could coexist well because both of them can make plays at the elbows. 
and, and Harris doesn't really need a, a ton of the ball in his hands to score. Uh, he's a really efficient spot-up shooter. And another guy that uh, I would think the Cavs might be interested in, I don't see them getting a Jimmy Butler or uh, Kyrie Irving type guy. I don't think they're getting a, an alpha guy next offseason, unless they clear a ton of cap space. And, and realistically, I just being objective, Cleveland, I would think to the general uh, NBA at large doesn't really strike as a free agent destination, if you will. Certainly not to Isaiah Thomas. <laughs> not to Isaiah Thomas or, or most people. But <laughs> Bleacher Reports, Greg Swartz, who's the uh, Cavs lead writer there, had recently published something about his top 10 2019 free agents. And he actually, I, th- I think he has Chris Middleton as number nine on that list. And I think that's also another possibility. He might actually fit even better than Tobias Harris. But he did have a, a bad injury last year and, and only played in 29 games. So, and, and if you look at him, he's a little thin, thin built, but he's a, a really good two-way player. Um, compliments Giannis perfectly. And, and I, if I were Milwaukee, I'd like to sign him if they could. But I, I think uh, the chatter is that he he declined an extension, and uh, th- that isn't is kind of in that same realm as Harris. He might actually be a little better than that. Given that he can, he can also play off the ball. He can create yeah. as, as a PNR ball handler, and actually can be a roller as well as kind of a pick and pop guy. Another efficient guy, uh, efficient scorer. And in Swartz's article, he had referenced that only 16 qualified players scored at least 20 a game with a uh, true shooting rate of north of 57%. So uh, that's really a kind of impressive stat to me. Um, that's a pretty elite group. And, and Middleton could be another guy. If, if, but going forward, I think Middleton or Harris could work well with Love. I wouldn't be trading Love for a while now unless it really goes in the tank because I think he's he's such a valuable piece with Colin Sexton and Osman and their ability to create yeah. um, off the dribble. And, and I think that'll get better as time goes on. They get more reps. So I, for leadership, and I, I hate to say it for Phil and Seats, I think you have to keep Love for the long term now. And he's been such a loyal guy. I think you have to keep him, and, and the Cavs are going to – I think they might have to take the page out of the Indiana Pacers playbook and maybe make kind of a, an under-the-radar under radar trade or, or pick up in free agency here and there and just kind of gradually ascend, uh, and, and I think that's kind of the model for us. So. For sure. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I can definitely get behind wanting to keep Love on the team. He's also just a guaranteed floor spacer at that 5-4 spot, which is always great to have. Do you want to say anything, Joe? Yeah, so the thing I like about um, Kevin Love is the fact that this sounds bad, but he has shown that he can't win by himself, and so he won't necessarily be winning games for us, which, although sounds like a bad thing, in the moment, it's not necessarily too bad of a thing. So you have a guy who has shown that he can be an asset when he's paired with other people, but when he's alone, he isn't necessarily that great of a game winner. And so he fits this role where... You can build a team around him. It's not going to be a great team, and you still get high draft picks. So I kind of disagree with that in the sense I think this team is going to be quite bad because Love hasn't shown... Obviously, he's grown a lot in the time that he's been in Cleveland. He hasn't shown that he can win games alone. And so um, it's going to be interesting to see whether or not he does win because I don't think he will. And I think we're going to get to a point where we're around the um, trade deadline and realize we do have a chance of going to get that um, top 10 pick and then just crashing from there. Yeah. Well, okay, Dan. So I guess this will be like the last question um, before we move on to rookie of the year, but we'll get some final thoughts on Harris. But before we do that uh, in the last podcast, me and Joe talked about where we thought Kevin Love ranked in the East. And we sort of, this is where, our optimism about the Cavs season sort of fell apart. We we thought that Love was probably, you know, top five just in conversation. And then we, when we tried to break it down, he landed more in our top 10, top 15 category. And if you're the top 12th best player in the East, it's going to be rough to win games against the East, let alone the West. So um, where do you think Love ranks in the East? I, I think this is such an interesting question and one that helps determine, you know, wins versus losses. Yeah, that's a that's a valid valid question. Um, I, I wouldn't say top five. I would say my top five. Just I guess like off the head, I would I'd say it has to be Giannis one two. When you look at all the advanced stats, 
Um, I guess for Giannis, too, I'd probably put Joel Embiid there just because of his impact on the floor. For three, I, I, this might be a little high, but I, I think Victor Oladipo is just incredible. His his impact on both ends of the floor. I, I think going forward, we're going to see him be like a superstar. I just think he's um, such an really an elite talent. And then from there, uh, yeah, I don't think Love is in even close to those guys, personally. Um, as Joe said, he's not going to win a game himself. But he's such a good complimentary guy, and he's such an, an elite rebounder that I, I don't think casual fans realize like how difficult it is for him to do that night in and night yeah. out. And, and I don't think and, – and Tristan Thomas is – everyone thinks he's such a good rebounder that rebounding numbers are not that fantastic, really. And losing him is not in the same – stratosphere of losing love on the glass so um that wins you games and i would say love is probably around seven seven eight uh i don't think he's in the same realm as um oladipo Embiid, oh Kawhi leonard he's not even close to that i mean we were even thinking like you know gordon hayward even that celtics starting five could give love a run for his money in the rankings yeah, I, I'm going to have to see a little more out of their, the rest of their young core. Uh, Gordon Hayward, to me, yeah, I, I forgot about him. Uh, yeah, he's not better than that. I, I'd say like eight for love because he's such a floor spacer, and he, he does get buckets. So I, I would say like eight, but I, I think Oladipo is very underappreciated. Yeah, no, I think so too. It's going to be a big year this year to see if he continues you know, being as good as he was last season. And the other problem I forgot to say about Love is probably to Joe's point is he, he has been injury prone like so frequently. So yeah. we'll have to see if that if that if a big injury happens, which is a legit possibility, then the Vegas over under I can understand at thirty and a half being maybe taking the under, but I think the Cavs are gonna be fluttering around thirty six, thirty seven games, which isn't fantastic, but in the East you never know. Maybe the Pistons will flame out. So Yeah. Yeah, see, I think that's interesting that both of you are so... You know, we were talking about it last week. Um, both of you are so high on Oladipo. Oh, I'm high on him, yeah. I just need to see I just need to see more. I, he hasn't won a playoff series yet. Like, by him, like, as the main playmaker. I don't know, I just... He's a good player, definitely. But I just don't see him top five. Not yet. He would definitely get there, in my opinion. Like, next year, maybe even the year after. But right at this current moment in time... I take some other people over. That's very fair. Yeah. Let's move on to um our next question, which is Sexton Rookie of the Year. Is there anything else we want to say about Harris before we move on? Uh, I just I think it's a, a good guy to have, um, kind of a low-maintenance guy if the Cavs strike out in a lot of their other possibilities. But I just think for from a spacing perspective, the Cavs don't have a ton of floor spacing right now because I don't think keeping Kyle Korver around is smart when he's going to be 38. So I think that's, I think he's a guy the cast should really consider. So I can't remember who it was, but somebody on um, King James Gospel wrote a story about the loyalty of the Cavs. And I think that goes for keeping guys as well as getting rid of them. So the players like J.R. Smith and Kyle Korver and George Hill, they came here with the idea that they were going to play with LeBron and they were going to play for championships. So you get people that just aren't going to be doing that anymore. And I mean, as you said, Kyle Korver is quite old. And I think it's just the best thing to do to trade him to a contender because we're going to get something back from him and he's going to be in a position in which he can try and go for a title. And I just think from seeing him for the last two years that that's that's just a loyal thing to do. That's the, that's the good guy decision. And I think the Cavs have got to a point in the league where we are that good guy. Yeah, we can definitely be that good guy. I actually think that was me who wrote that loyalty article. But oh, yeah, I uh, yeah, I definitely think the Cavs could make themselves into like a loyal franchise, especially with this love extension, especially with doing right by guys mm-hmm. like Corver. And who knows, maybe that helps make Cleveland less of a uh, less of what Isaiah Thomas called it and um, more of a utopia. <laughs> so we'll see, <laughs> but. Um, yeah, so let's uh, let's move on. So the next thing we wanted to talk about was just Colin Sexton's odds to win the Rookie of the Year next season. So currently, according to Las Vegas Sports Betting, he has the fifth best odds. He's plus 800 to win it. He's behind, um, and in this order, Luka Doncic, DeAndre Ayton, Kevin Knox, and Marvin Bagley III. 
So what do you guys think about that? Do you think Sexton warrants having the fifth best odds? Should he have higher odds? Should he have lower odds? Uh, Let's start with you first, Joe. Yeah, so just going off the the rankings right there, I don't necessarily – I really, really like Luca, but I don't think he's in a position. Rookie of the year comes down to um, a lot of – what position you are oh not position but um like what position in the organization you yeah are. so um like as we were talking about earlier before the pod donovan mitchell he was put in a position in which that was the perfect position for him to be in and although he didn't get rookie of the year ben simmons did but ben simmons isn't even a rookie <laughs> <laughs> it got he got put into a place where he could shine and um i don't necessarily know if the mavericks are that for luca and then Aiton, I think he could win it. Kevin Knox, I don't think so. Pausing this is going to take too much of the offense. And that's one of the things about Rookie of the Year. Defense does not matter as much compared to if you're just insanely good at offense, you'll probably win it. Yeah, it's a, it's a big narrative game too. Oh, yeah. And then Bagley, I just, I don't. He went to the Kings. <laughs> I don't know what to say. I just don't think the Kings are going to be able to put it together. <laughs> um Sexton, on the other hand, kind of falls into that same position as Donovan Mitchell last year, a team that might be a playoff team, as we've discussed before on the pod, and he comes in as a guard that's probably going to start. And so I think giving him the offense, he could really just break out and just go crazy this season. I, I also think just in terms of you know, narrative, LeBron just left and he can kind of take over the reins of this franchise, especially if he becomes that second option with love or even a primary option. Mm-hmm. Uh, what, what do you think, though, Dan, about uh, Sexton's odds? That seems pretty fair to me. Uh, it seems like with Aiton and Bagley, it's more so their teams are so bad. But I, I don't think Aiton, I think it's a little high for him because so much of their offense run, is going to run through Devin Booker and he's probably going to play a lot more lead guard this year than he has in years past. I think they're going to try to have him develop into a point guard role more. I think so, too. I really like the comparison to Devin and um, James Harden. It's crazy, but I really like that comparison. I think he could be like that for oh, sure. Yeah, yeah he's, he's got a really good handle and just... I mean, I think he's a better passer than people realize, too. But in terms of Sexton, like in my opinion, I think... The odds, just based on on usage, I think for first I would put it at Trey Young, not because I'm obsessed with Trey Young like some people are on Twitter. The next Steph Curry. Yeah, I I don't know about that, but yeah, neither do I. I I would just say he's he's gonna have can, the keys to their offense a ton, and Jeremy Lin is probably going to get hurt anyway, so I don't think I, I think Trey Young will just slot in as is getting starting minutes so he's gonna shoot a ton and and they're gonna be entirely analytics driven and, and try to be the warriors going forward and, and he's gonna put up crazy numbers so um and as you said defense doesn't matter really in, in rookie of the year at all and i would probably put luca at second second best odds just because he's he's got such elite vision and and he's a a six eight ish point forward type um i guess he's more of a wing but I just think he's he's got, I think, a little more weapons than people realize. And, and DeAndre, I think that's going to be a great um, pick-and-roll tandem. And, and he's going to be able to find him for lunks, for dunks, for so many opportunities in that. And I think he's I think Dennis Smith Jr. isn't going to need as much usage as many people think because he's going to be playing off the ball and getting lobs from Doncic a lot. And Sexton, I would put his third um, just because – I just list those three because it's it's honestly a guard, a guard league. Yeah, and and, those, and although Doncic isn't really listed as one, he's more of a more of a guard than an interior player. And I just don't think bigs are ever going to be that overly relevant. And and even Ben Simmons is a point guard, really. So I just think um, yeah, Sexton third I think seems about reasonable. It just depends how long it is. To me, I, I don't think he's just going to be a starter on day one. And whereas the other two guys, I think, are going to be starters day one. So that seems reasonable. Definitely. So I actually have, like, sort of something to run by you guys. I think there are five things that need to happen for Sexton to become the rookie of the year. 
So l- let me know what you think about this. I-, I think number one, the Cavs shooters have to keep making their shots. Last year, they were top six in every three-point category from three-point frequency to attempts to makes and percentage. And then I think this could super space the floor for Sexton, who, you know, he doesn't have the best shot yet. I think it could totally develop in summer league. He showed that he he can hit shots. Uh, so maybe some of that criticism was a little overblown, but still he's going to need the lane open for himself. Number two, I think the Cavs should push the pace. Uh, they were 12th last year, and I don't think there's any reason why they shouldn't go faster this year, especially with Nance, uh, with Colin Sexton playing, he's going to want to run. And, you know, Chetty Osmond, the whole team is young. So I, I think Sexton could have a good chance of getting some easier buckets in transition. I also think, you know, any sort of digs on his playmaking, uh, he could learn to make the, like, the more simple easier pass in transition that's more pragmatic than flashier, which is another thing that he's been criticized about. Uh, Number three, Sexton has to remain confident. Um, That's how he's going to make this transition game, make his game easier. And I think he has the total ability to remain confident. You know, he's called the young bull for a reason. He's going to want to be fast. Uh, Number four, Jordan Clarkson can't eat up point guard minutes. I think you know, you got to switch those between Sexton and Hill so Sexton can get as much experience as possible in that point guard role. And number five, the other top rookies have to struggle. I, I think I think Bagley should not be above Sexton in these odds. He, you know, in Summer League, he showed that he doesn't necessarily have the body to be super dominant against NBA-level talent. The other four, though, they could, they could definitely break out. So I think it really just depends on their context, too. Uh, you know, it's not a done deal that Sexton is automatically the most talented player out of these five. And there's other rookies to consider, too. Like if the, if we were having this conversation last year, Donovan Mitchell would not have been on this list. But what, what do you think about those five things? Yeah, so I think one of the important things is the Jordan Clarkson thing that you said. I don't necessarily think it's that he shouldn't necessarily play. I just do not like the Colin Sexton, Jordan Clarkson together. Because if you're thinking about it as statistics per minute, like Sexton, when he's playing, you want him to be the first option because that's how you um, that's how you win rookie of the year. You have to put up stats. And so if he's wasting his energy and time playing in a game where Jordan Clarkson is just going to take every shot on the offensive end anyway, I don't necessarily think that as a recipe to win rookie of the year. No, yeah, not at all. What do you think, Dan? Yeah, that's a good point. Uh Sexton's going to have to, yeah, to win rookie of the year, you pretty much have to be a, a the first option on the floor, it seems like. And, uh, yeah, I don't think Bagley, I think that's kind of overrated for him because the Kings are, just don't really have enough guys to, uh, like De'Aaron Fox is more of a scorer, and I, I don't think he's, I mean, he's an okay playmaker, but I don't think Bagley is nearly the rebounder that Aiton is, and he's not close to the athlete, really, so. I, I would put Kevin Knox over him because Knox will get um, a lot of spot up opportunities. So, yeah, that's a good point. And and Sexton obviously um, confidence is key with him. It seems like that's everything. And I I would think that won't waver going forward. But I, I'm sure he'll have his ups and downs. Uh, but yeah, that's a great point about staggering minutes between Sexton and Clarkson. It's those two guys in the floor together is just a, a, probably just an awful combination. I can't imagine that going well at all. I can't imagine Ty Lue thinking that that's going to go well. I don't know if we're ever going to even see it. It might happen, and we might realize that it's terrible and not do it again. However, I don't see the coaching staff thinking, hmm, that's going to go well, let's do that. No, I, I agree. And and I'm right there with you too, Dan, about... um. Bagley and Aiden I I just think you know neither Bagley or Aiden is on a good three-point shooting team and both of them need the inside to be effective Aiden is on the worst the Suns were the worst three-point shooting team last year and the whole thing about Aiden was oh he'll look better on an NBA spaced floor the Suns don't space the floor like an NBA team like they just don't have that same floor spacing granted it's going to be better than what he had in college but I don't think it's going to be that much better and the defense in the NBA is just going to be that much smarter and savvier to crowd him in the lane and and same with Bagley Bagley doesn't really have a shot yet and the Kings like their best three-point shooters are what Buddy Heald and who else do they even have that can shoot the three I feel like the rest of them are are pretty regular shooters 
Well, Bogdanovich can yes, hit you're three, right. and uh, he's Bag- Bagley is actually a really good shooter, but but he's not much of a shooter. Is he? A- he's, he's a good shooter, yeah, but he's not much of. Okay, I, I just haven't he, seen. They're him gonna yet. have to get him the ball on the low block too, and he's he's not doesn't really have any like explosive quickness. So I, I don't think it's gonna be. A, I don't think he's just gonna be a walking. I don't couple. see him hitting NBA threes. We'll, we'll have to see, but as you said, like they're both of those teams have such limited spacing that they're gonna need those guys to to just be freaks and finishing at ones. And I don't think they're going to get a ton of like lobs really at all. Yeah. So one of the issues that I've had with Bagley from the start, as soon as I, I didn't necessarily notice this much in when he was playing for Duke, because obviously he's not playing against NBA. He's not playing against men. He's playing against like college people and college. <laughs> um, but the, the thing is that when, when he goes to the post in the NBA, He's going to be going against people like Aaron Baines. And Bagley will not be able to score against Aaron Baines. And Aaron Baines isn't even that good of a defender. He's just not big enough yet. He's just huge. And so, yeah, yeah, Bagley won't be able to score against bigger people, I don't think, yet. He's just not big enough. And no matter how much of this whole... when I Whenever I thought of Bagley, I just he just gets it done in the post. But I just don't see it happening in the NBA because there's such huge guys... In a few years, yeah, he'll be bigger and he'll be able to get buckets in the paint. But right now, I just see that as being a really inefficient offense for them. A couple guys I forgot to mention are, I would think Shy Gilgis Alexander is going to have a ton of usage um, with the Clippers as well. He's going to have the ball in his hands often. Yeah. And I would think he's kind of a dark horse-ish guy. I mean, he's flying up draft radar, uh, draft rankings as the months progress before the draft. And, and he's a really good two-way guy. Mm-hmm. And uh, Wendell Carter Jr., to me, is going to be a way better way better pro than Marvin Bagley. Just a really polished post guy. And, and he's going to be – I think he can eventually be a four-spacing big as well. I believe that. Yeah, I mean, my dark horse is uh, Antetokounmpo's brother, man. He's going to be crazy good. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, uh, that, no, that totally makes sense. I think – I, I do kind of think it's going to be a rookie that we haven't even thought of, really. You know, I, I it just seems like that's been the trend lately. But who knows? And I guess the other thing I want to ask you guys is, what does a rookie of the year Sexton look like? What, what do you want to see out of an optimized Sexton rookie season? I think the important thing is that he's hitting that mid-range shot. If he hits that little elbow mid-range shot, he's going to be really good. And I think the... They were talking about it in the um, the broadcast that when he goes when he goes left versus when he goes right, he does different things. Sometimes he drives to the hoop. Sometimes he pulls up for that little jumper. But I really do think that little mid-range elbow jumper is going to be a really effective weapon in the NBA because there's not many point guards in the league who do it. Most are looking for threes or um, layups, but he stops on a dime and he hits that shot. And... I really, really like that shot. And if he's hitting that shot, he's really, really difficult to defend because he's so fast. If you expect that shot, he's just going to blow straight by you. And that's a big confidence builder too. I mean, he starts hitting a couple of those mid-range games. I feel mid-range shots, I feel like he's going to be even better at running. He's not going to get too sped up and get out of control. I think I think you're totally right. Keep going. I just wanted to bring up, I really, really like um, Jaron Jackson Jr. Yeah. I think and I think he's going to be really, really good. Well, he was always touted as the guy who's going to come in and immediately contribute. You know, just be a pro. Yeah. What What do you think, though, Dan, about an optimized Sexton rookie season? Yeah, I would say he's going to have to take the keys to the offense for sure, um, and, and that's a, a great point by Joe. That mid range uh, pull up is going to be key for him, both in isolation, pick and roll. That's going to keep uh, defenders on their heels, especially bigs are going to have a lot of pro- problems with that. Oh, yeah. And he, he is pretty effective in that area. So for me, I would say the Cavs, I, I don't think it's complete outside chance. I would say it's like a, maybe like a 40% chance, but I would say the Cavs have to make the playoffs. I, I just don't think he's going to have nearly the numbers of like Trey Young or, or Doncic. Um, whether those are, are empty numbers, one can debate on that. But I, I would think he's he's got to have – the Cavs have to make the playoffs, and I think he has to lead – I think he has to have about 16, 17, uh, and probably five to six assists a game, and, and maybe one steal 
and I think the Cavs have to have, I would say, over 40 wins for him to do that, and that's kind of a kind of a stretch. But it's it's not totally outside the possibility because he's got such a good work ethic, and and he can be a leader leader from from the get go. It seems like. I think his defensive potential is a lot higher than people think it is. Definitely. I think he can fill that Patrick Beverly type role. Oh yeah. I'm just obviously better than Patrick Beverly offensively. But somebody who just goes out and says, I'm you're not scoring on me. Yeah, the the only thing about Sexton as far as on like on the defensive end I'm not thrilled about is just his height. He's a six two, I believe, which kinda means he's going to be forced to only guard, you know, the point guard. He he's not he's not in the five feet range where he's just gonna get beat up on, but I, there is a little part of me that worries that as the game continues to move towards big wings mm-hmm. and it seems that the unicorn is getting more and more, you know, po- a popular archetype coming out of college. I, I just worry that Sexton might get picked on in later years and especially as a rookie, just being six two. But I, like, like you said, Joe, I, I think a Patrick Beverly comp could be really, really appropriate, you know, just being a dog on that end and making, the team's ball handler, their most primary ball handler, uncomfortable the whole game. As as we saw at the end of the game, I think it was with the Lakers, that overtime, multiple overtime game, he just got into defensive stance and was like, I'm taking you on. Yeah, didn't he start flexing against Josh Hart? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I also think his height is an issue. Um, His height is technically six foot two, but that's six foot two with his head. Yeah, and with shoes on. Don't forget the shoes. So, I'm with shoes. So, like, generally, I think he maybe gets to six foot. Yeah. And he's, he's just saying six foot two. Right. But, I mean, the Cavs made the decision knowing how tall he was. So I still think he can be a plus defender, even with his height. It just worries me about as the league continues to go switch heavy, everyone can handle the ball. I, I That's the only thing I'm worried about. If this was a more traditional league, I there I don't even think this would come up just because he would be mm-hmm. great at taking on point guards and shooting guards. I, I think he's he could maybe be, you know, just physical enough with a shooting guard to make them uncomfortable, especially ones that are more spot-up guys. He's also fast enough yeah. where he can destroy them offensively. Yeah, I think you're right too. So if, he, if he's put with a Luka, I don't think Luka has a chance of keeping up with Colin Sexton. No, Sexton's fast. Yeah, really fast. And I just think that you have to be a point guard to keep up with them. There's, there's, And even then, there's not many people in the league who are point guards who can keep up with him. By playing such such good offense and such quick offense, he's going to get better at defense, if that makes sense. Right. And, and I could definitely see him having that advantage against veteran point guards for the first four or five years in the league where he's just... Mm-hmm you know, so much faster, has so much more energy than, you know, if he was going up against a guy like George Hill, if that was who he was playing against, it might be tough for George Hill to play a whole a whole 30 minutes of time where he's up against Sexton having to run his ass off the whole game. Yeah. So the next question we wanted to move on to was just who on the Cavs besides Kevin Love will, be, will become an all-star first? Joe and I sort of touched on this on our first podcast, um, episode 17, just about who will have a breakout year. But just because Chetty Osman might have a breakout year this upcoming season doesn't necessarily mean he'll become an all-star. So, Dan, who do you think on this Cavs team will become an all-star first? I don't really see any all-stars in this roster other than uh, Colin Sexton to me, I think, in maybe year four, I think he can get there. But I, I just I don't really see anything else. I think a breakout year for Osman, I think we got it have to be realistic here is I would say probably like 10 and five would be a realistic breakout year for Osman. I don't really know if he's going to be a long, a, a long time starter in the NBA um, just because I, I, his handles improved. Yeah. He can make plays. He's, he's a smart player, but sometimes his head and feet seems like are on the same page. He kind of forces things and he's, he's always going to be kind of an, a frenetic pace guy where sometimes I just I don't see all star potential for Jetty, but I think Sexton is clearly the guy for me. I, I don't really see anything other than that. Like I, I don't really buy the Rodney Hood being potential all star talk. See, see, I I buy into that Rodney Hood uh, all star talk, but we can talk about that later. What do you who do you think, Joe? Yeah, I just think that was a really really hot take from Dan about Jetty, and we can unpack that in a little bit. I think Jetty's going to be really good in this league. I think he just 
gives the right amount of defense and the right amount of threes that they're going to find a role for him. And I mean, he showed that he's willing to work really hard. We even saw the um, improvement from summer league. And I think the, I think it's definitely Rodney first. I don't think it will happen. I want to make that clear. However, if anybody's going to do it, it's Rodney. And then Sexton. I kind of agree. I don't think Chetty's going to be an all-star. But that's not necessarily at his fault. I think it's the way the system works. I don't think he'll be a good enough offensive player. He's really good defensively. And that's one of the reasons I'm so excited for him. Because of his defense. And Yeah. And that doesn't really come into terms when you talk about that all-star game. No, you're right. And I, I do think Chetty can... So I would I would disagree with you, Dan, about Chetty maybe not necessarily being a starter long term in this league. I, I think I think there's definitely a a reality in which Chetty falls out of the league in five years, but I think there's also a reality where he becomes a really reliable three and D guy. I mean, he's got Kyle Korver on the roster to help him shoot those threes uh, in practice, which I think I think there has to be a little bit of emphasis on that. I, I don't think. I think there's a. It's very easy to overstate the sort of player coach role, but I do think Corver is a high enough character guy where he would be helping Chetty to to a lot of his benefit. And then also Lou and LeBron have talked about how how much effort Chetty gives on defense, which effort and actual like defensive value are two different things. But Chetty's getting bigger. He's only 22, 23 right now. I, I agree. Chetty's. I don't think Chetty's ever going to make an All Star game, but. Yeah, I would actually say that for sure. I don't think Chetty's going to make an all-star game, but I do think he could be a valuable 3 and D guy. Um, do you want to say anything to that, Dan? Yeah, I, I think that's a, a fair uh, fair assumption. I think he's definitely going to get better. I think he his ceiling could be maybe like a Robert Covington type. Yeah, I think that would be perfect. I mean, he has, he has, he has more playmaking potential than that, um, but, I, I mean, we saw him playmaking and – in FIBA and, and in Eurobasket, we, and we saw it in Summer League. I don't know how much that's going to be the case against actual like NBA like regular season play. Sure. I don't know how reliable that'll be. but And I don't really know how much Tyron Lue, if he's around long-term, how that's going to help because clearly I don't think he's going to be developing players too well. So I think that could hinder Jetty's potential a little bit if he played in a, in a place maybe like Utah with Quinn Snyder or somebody, or maybe or like, like San, San Antonio, yeah, San Antonio, or uh, honestly, even Milwaukee with like Mike Budenholzer, coaches that that know how to develop guys well, even sort of ancillary pieces. But I, I think you wrote about it, kind of a similar archetype to mm-hmm. Torian Prince. I think that was you that wrote that, right? It was Joe, yeah. Oh, okay, sorry, Joe. That that seems fair. I just think Torian Prince is is a little better athletically. Uh, defensively, I think he's got a little more. I think he just kind of has a little more versatility. Jetty, in theory, can guard one through four, but I, I don't know if I've seen quite enough of that yet. So I think Robert Covington is maybe a fair comparison. He might have a little more than that in the tank, but as far as like actual, it's not easy to be a starter long term in the NBA. And I don't really know how long Jetty's going to be in the league. Is he going to be a ten year player? I, I don't. I would honestly bet against that. I really like Jetty. But I, I think we need to temper expectations with him a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, I just uh, bring up, I mentioned earlier that defense isn't mentioned in All-Star. The defensive player of the year this year, Rudy Gobert, didn't get an All-Star appearance. And that just, I think, shows. Like, he's the best defensive player in our league, by far, in my opinion. And he didn't get an All-Star. So I think that just goes to show how little the the way that it's selected. I yeah, and I mean that that's kind of what makes me think Hood is has a good chance of being an all-star this year. I I really do think that I I wouldn't say it's likely, mm-hmm. but I think there's like a like a 30%, 40% chance that Hood could become an all-star this year. There's definitely a world where it happens. Yeah, I, you know, like you said, defense isn't that important as in all-star voting. Although I think Hood has all the tools to be a great defender. He's just never necessarily shown it. He, there's stretches where he looks good, but for the most part, he hasn't been that super effective, you know, advanced stats guy that I think he could be. But besides that, when, you know, every year in Utah, he added more points. He was getting better from three-point range. And this is all coming from higher usage rate. 
So I think this year on the Cavs, when he's only going to have to really be sharing that spotlight with love, because I'm right there with Joe where I want it to be a hood love year where you're kind of letting hood have a tryout to see if he's going to be a primary wing player on this team, if he can be that primary wing player. Um, So I think if he's somewhere in the, you know, top three of usage rate on the Cavs, hopefully the top two in my world, he's going to look really good on the Cavs last season. He was 10th. And I think that really hindered his performance. I, I think he's more of an old Oladipo type where he needs that sort of freelance high usage. If plays break down, he can he can make what he wants with it. So I, I, I really do see good things for Hood in his future. And just to be surrounded by... Because I'm guessing the starting lineup will be something along the lines of Hill, J.R. Smith, Hood, Love, and Thompson, or maybe Nance Jr. gets in there sooner, something like that. So there's going to be some shooting on there. I think Hood's going to have some space to work with. And yeah, I, I just, I think there's a case for Hood. I, I would go on record saying that I, you know, I think Hood is for sure the most likely to become an all-star on this Cavs team besides Kevin Love. And I could definitely see it happening this year. Yeah, so I think the um, the thing with Hood is that's the story out there that Hood's a good shooter. And I think he is a good shooter, but I think he's a rhythm shooter instead of a, like what he was doing last year with like um, LeBron driving and kicking. I think he's a kind of shooter who needs a ball in his hand to shoot. I think it just does him, it doesn't do him justice to have him stand in the corner. I think he's a much more skilled offensive player than that. And he showed it in Utah and he showed it a few games for us. Um, but I just think that it doesn't do him justice to have him not be the center of your offense, at least for a year, give him a shot. Because no team in the NBA has really ever given him that. Yeah, even with uh, even with Utah, he was always kind of relegated to being a second, third option. Either Hayward was there, and then last year Donovan Mitchell broke out. So, yeah. And then, you know, he came over to the Cavs, which obviously Hood's not going to be the first option. They have LeBron and, um, Kevin and Love, so... He was always kind of relegated to being below where I think he can be most effective. The teams in the NBA just kind of told him, go stand in the corner. Yeah, exactly. And I think it's I think it's that Oladipo thing, you know, where Oladipo is only really called on to make plays in the Thunder when Westbrook couldn't, you know. Mm-hmm. And that that's not really what Oladipo does now. Oladipo's bringing it up almost every time. He's super comfortable to to be having the ball 20 out of the 24 seconds if the if the ball's just kind of zipping through and coming back to him every time. Yeah, so I just think Love's gonna. I think Hood's gonna have that opportunity that Oladipo did, and it's it's you know it's his choice what or it's his life what happens with that sort of opportunity. I think the Cavs give him that opportunity though. This is such a big chance for Hood to really have a great year to really kind of establish himself as a maybe not a premier wing but a super solid NBA starting wing who can score. Yeah. So what do you guys think? We're going to wrap it up now. What do you guys are your final thoughts on um, All-Stars beside Kevin Love? You go, Dan. I feel like I, I am, I'm so on this hood train now. <laughs> oh, it's all good. Uh, yeah, I, I get it with Rodney Hood. I think, as as you guys were saying, he doesn't – like Joe Ingles eventually had Hood fizzled out of Utah because he can make make more plays as, as, a, as a passer in the pick and roll, which I think we'll see a little more out of with Rodney Hood this year. He can do that a little bit in kind of like an ancillary role, but he doesn't really have really like good passing instincts. And I think to be an all-star, I mean, I think in today's league passing is, is kind of more of in a kind of more of a key for wings. Now, if you want to be kind of a guy with the ball in your hands, you need about five, six assists. Yeah. yeah I, I mean, even Oladipo who's, who's a two guard by nature, he wants to score the basketball. Had, had his his career averages around four assists a game, so he makes some plays happen. And and Hood isn't nearly the athlete of an Oladipo. I don't really think that's a similar comparison. It just in my opinion, and, and Joe Ingles sure. is just a better shooter. Period. In, in all three levels, Hood is a better shooter off the dribble. I mean, Ingles doesn't really have that. But I don't really get the whole pop with Rodney Hood. I mean, yeah, the, when he was with Utah, I think it was sixteen point nine a game. Um, the season before. Yeah, that's right. But he doesn't really, he's kind of a, I mean, I, I understand his numbers are inflated when he has a higher usage, but Kevin Love's going to get a lot of usage. I mean, he's going to get probably 
27, 28% usage rate this year, which is when he's getting the ball at the elbows. You can't really give Hood uh, – I don't want to just let Hood dance with the ball. And I don't really think his handle is good enough to get a ton of separation. I mean, what? Hit, and he doesn't really have elite length for his height. I think he has 6'9 uh, length when he's 6'7. So I, I just – I think – drawing wings defensively and athletic force is going to be a problem for him. And, and he's been an up-and-down guy mentally throughout his career. Uh, I think that's been well-documented. Like in Utah, it, just, yeah. it seems like he kind of, yeah. his numbers kind of were inconsistent with when they gave the keys to Donovan Mitchell with the offense, really. And if he can't make a lot of a lot of, a lot lot more plays on a, in a better offensive system – I don't really think Teron Lue is going to be able to get this out of Rodney Hood. And I'm not going to – I'm kind of bad-mouthing Lue a little bit. He, he deserves a chance to prove himself. But I don't think the Cavs are going to be fluid enough for Hood to be able to get a, a ton of space because outside of love, we're not going to have a ton of spacing guys. I mean, I think it's – Rodney Hood playing with maybe Chan, Channing Fry could help him a lot, specifically in the pick-and-roll between those two could have some decent chemistry the season progresses, but Rodney Hood, as you as you guys have said, uh, needs the ball in his hands, and he's not an impact defender enough for me to warrant over 25 minutes a game. I just I'm not a huge Hood guy, and uh, and honestly, Jordan Clarkson is going to be probably playing with Rodney Hood a fair amount too. So I, I don't I don't yeah, really see yeah, that. I hate that combo. Yeah, it's, I just personally think Hood is not going to get as many minutes as people think he is. That's just my opinion. Because him and him and Jetty Osman are going to kind of be are kind of a similar position, so I, I wouldn't be playing them a ton together. No, that's fair. I mean, I do kind of think Chetty and Hood could actually be a a good pairing. I, I hate the pairing of Hood and Clarkson. I mean, two guys who need the ball to be effective, and both guys who kind of have the blinders on as far as making plays for other people. I don't necessarily. I hot take. I think by the end of the year, Jordan Clarkson is going to be playing nearly as much as he does by the start, if not any at all. I just think he's so hard to fit with other people. Well, and if the Cavs do limp into the playoffs, uh, yeah, I think there's almost no way that there's any sort of uh, confidence in Clarkson to have a good first round. You know no. wh- why? You can't play him that first round, or you got to at least like give him 10 minutes to see if he's actually going to not be the worst playoff player like in NBA history, you know? Yeah, actually, though, like that's a legitimate take. Um, <laughs> and I think last year was really, really bad for Clarkson. Agreed. Like, his performance in the playoffs was truly terrible. So much. because Oh, it lowered his stock so much, yeah. And he gets there, and he performs so terribly – that people don't even want to give him a shot in the playoffs anymore. And so the worst archetype of himself, you know, I like, yeah, keep going. I'm sorry. But I just think like that playoff performance was everybody's criticisms of Clarkson. He just, he literally went above like below and further below what anyone could have considered. Yeah. I mean, you'll have Jordan Clarkson games out there where he just gets a bunch of turnovers and shoot shots. He won't hit, but when it's in the playoffs, that's important. You can't be you can't be on for three games and then off for two in the playoffs. You have to be on for every single game, and so that's really important. Yeah, J. I mean, Jr. has been off for two years, so he got paid. <laughs> True. Um, yeah, it'll be interesting. I think, I think Hood's gonna be all right if they give him the ball. Joe, you you got to make a snap decision right now. Who do you agree with, me or Dan? Is is Hood being an all star like I said, or is or is he just the worst player ever like Dan said? <laughs> Um, he's an all-star. Yeah, two-on-one, Dan, you lose. <laughs> All right. <laughs> no, I, I totally get what you're saying, though, Dan. But um, keep going, Joe. I'm sorry if I cut you off. No, it's fine. I um, Yeah, I just think that why not? Because I feel like for this whole for this entire season, it's going to be a why not. If you if you want to try something, I mean, we don't have LeBron anymore. We're not going to the playoffs. We're not going to the – we might get to the playoffs. We're not going to the finals. We're not playing Golden State. So why not? Everything up for the last few years has always been, well, he's not gonna play with he's not gonna play against Steph Curry very well. And as a result, we don't even try. But I just think, hey, why not? You know? Exactly. So yeah, is there any final thoughts anyone wants to put forth on this topic or just what we've talked about in the last hour? 
No, I think we're good. I'm good. Awesome. So I guess we'll just wrap up the pod here. So Dan, you got to drop that handle. What's that handle? Where can people find you? It's at armchair QB Dan. Awesome. Uh, yeah, so please feel free to look at Dan's stuff on King James Gospel. He's a great writer. Also, he is a lot more active on Twitter, has much more followers than I do, which <laughs> I kind of think is BS, but it's fine. And yeah, if you want to follow me, I'm at uh, NBA Analyst Doug. If you want to follow Joe, he's at NBA. And if you want to send questions to our podcast, please use kjgpodcast at gmail.com, kjgpodcast at gmail.com, or slip into mine and Joe's DMs. Doug's DMs are wide open. They are so open. Oh, my God. But, uh, but yeah, that's, that's all we really have for you guys. Um, thank you so much for listening. Yeah, for King James Gospel, this is Doug and Joe and Dan, and we are happy you listened. Thanks, guys. Go Browns. <laughs>